this morning, I want to uh, bring you a message, a series of messages, actually. This is going to go for a few weeks. Uh, it's a very, very important series of messages. I've entitled it, The Truth So Sets You Free. It's a study about the role of women in the home. And while it's specifically talking about the role of women, there's a lot that guys can uh, benefit from this as well. But uh, I, I want to start out by reading to you from a recent article written by Chuck Colson entitled Domestic Violence Within the Church, The Ugly Truth. He writes, a woman I'll call Marlene went to her pastor for help. My husband is abusing me, she told him. Last week, he knocked me down and kicked me and he broke one of my ribs. Marlene's pastor was sympathetic. He prayed with Marlene and then sent her home. Try to be more submissive, he advised. After all, your husband is your spiritual head. Two weeks later, Marlene was dead, killed by an abusive husband. Her church could not believe it. Marlene's husband was a leader in the church. He was a deacon. How could he have done such a thing? Studies reveal that spousal abuse is just as common within the evangelical church community as anywhere else. This me And you know what? I'm getting tired of hearing that. I'm getting tired of hearing that evangelical community has the same divorce rate as non-Christians. I'm tired of hearing evangelical Christians have the same unexpected pregnancy rates, have the same drug problem rates, has the same pornography addiction rates, and have the same amount of beating up their wives rates. This has to stop. I don't know what in the world is going on out there. This means about 25% of Christian homes witness abuse of some kind. He goes on to write that tragically, some of these men justify their violence by citing biblical passages. The amount of domestic abuse in Christian homes is horrifying, and the church ought to be doing something about it. But this is one mission field where the church is largely missing in action. And sometimes pastors, albeit with good intentions, are doing more harm than they are doing good. He continues to write, Denise George cites a survey in which nearly 6,000 pastors were asked how they would counsel women who came to them for help with domestic violence. Now, I don't know how many of these pastors actually responded, but 6,000, that's a huge sampling. They can pretty much tell you what the whole country thinks, hundreds of millions of us, by surveying just 1,200 people. This is 6,000 from a very small pool. 26% of these pastors said they would counsel their women the same way Marlene's pastor did, to continue to submit to her husband no matter what. 25% told the women that the abuse was their own fault for failing to submit in the first place. Astonishingly, 50% of pastors in this survey said women should be willing to tolerate some level of violence. Dear God, help us. Advice like this, he warns, often puts women in grave danger and in some cases can be a death warrant. As I read that article this week and 
I continue to read emails that come to me from women all over the country, I, I cannot tell you how stunned I am at the level of bad information that is being taught about this issue in churches. This week, tens of thousands of women will go to their pastors and Christian counselors asking what they should do about a husband who is treating them very badly. We're talking about men who neglect their wives. We're talking about men who curse and demean their wives. Men who seldom, if ever, will even talk to their wives. Men who selfishly let the entire weight of the home, domestic chores, child care, even, some, even the home maintenance, all falls on the shoulder of their wives as they offer to do nothing. Men who, instead of being engaged husbands and fathers, leave their families at every opportunity to go fishing, hunting, playing golf, whatever. Men who come and go as they please without having the common courtesy to so much as give their wives a phone call to let them know where they are. Men who stay up at all hours of the night with their buddies or hanging out at bars, leaving their wives constantly wondering when they will be home. Men who demean and humiliate their wives by watching and looking at pornography. Some of these men insisting that their wives join them. Men who talk to or text to other women with sexual and inappropriate content. The list goes on and on and on. And of course includes men who physically assault their wives. Instead of being the protector of their homes, they become the greatest terrorist in their homes. And as these women will pour out their hearts to their pastors and Christian counselors this week, talking of their pain, and how they are slowly dying emotionally. How some of them are hurting physically at the hands of these men. Many, by the way, who claim the name of Christ. These pastors and Christian counselors will overwhelmingly say to these women the same thing that, Colson, that, pa that the pastor in Colson's article said to that woman. That the women need to submit. These pastors and counselors will dispense this advice, believing they're being biblical in doing so. Sadly, they are unaware of the fact that they are actually doing the opposite. They are failing to understand the totality of scriptures and are failing to, as Paul wrote, to rightly divide the word of truth. It seems that these Christian leaders know of only two verses in the New Testament concerning marriage. One is found in Ephesians, the fifth chapter, verse 22, that says this, wives, submit to your husbands. The other in 1 Corinthians, the seventh chapter, says this concerning sex in marriage. Do not deprive each other, except by mutual consent. So these pastors, failing to include the totality of scriptural teaching, hang and focus on just two verses and give women one simplistic, ineffective, and at times destructive messages, which can basically be summed up 
as the following. Women need to shut up and put out. Oh, they'd never use those words. For in doing so, the horror and the foolishness of their message would become plainfully clear to all. But make no mistake, at the end of the day, that's their message. Just be quiet. Just tolerate. Be submissive. Keep giving. In other words, shut up and put out. And by the way, this message is not just given by men. In women's conferences all across America, female teachers will pass on the same message to other women. They will say to them, if you want to be a biblical woman, you need to be quiet. You need to tolerate virtually any kind of behavior from your husband. Submissive to him, even if your husband is being sinful and destructive. And you need to be giving in every way, including sexually. Basically, the message these women are passing on to other women is the same message, shut up and put out. But I tell you, that is not biblical. And I will show that in this series of messages. Here's a typical email that I received this week. Just got this one. And I get these all the time. Dear Pastor Mark, this lady writes, my husband and I went to one of the elders and his wife in our church for, for a while for marriage counseling as they have been trained in biblical counseling, which of course only includes apparently two verses. My husband wants the passcode to the cable box so he can look at dirty movies. These counselors say that he is the head of our home. And whether he does sin by looking at pornography or does not, either way, he has the right to have the password. I did ask another pastor of a strong evangelical denomination the same thing, and he also told me that I could not keep the password from my husband as it is his choice to sin or not. Anyway, I'm sorry to bother you with my troubles, she writes. But you seem to have a different take on these things that I've never heard before. Please help with any advice you could give me. She signs it, a hurting sister in Christ. Do I have a different take? <laughs> Indeed, I do. It's called the Bible. Amazingly, if there is one area that I get opposed over as I speak about marriage issues around the country, and I've had some pastors even write blistering attacks and labeling me as some dangerous guy, some form of a heretic. It is over the fact that I advocate to women that when dealing with a badly behaving husband, they do not have to shut up and put out. And if they do so, they are not acting in a biblical way. I teach from the scriptures, and I will show you this. That a woman has the right and even the responsibility to use anything and everything at her disposal to oppose the bad behavior of her husband. And I will clearly make my case. Of course, when the purveyors of just shut up and put out hear what I have to say, they raise their voices in shock and protest and say, what about what Paul the Apostle said? Well, I'm glad you brought that up. Paul, yes, let's take a look at some of the 
teachings that Paul had concerning women, shall we? 1 Corinthians, the 14th chapter, verse 34. Women should remain silent in the church. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says. Now, I want to ask all the women in the Celebration Campus this morning, how many of you have had the audacity to actually speak this morning? Let me see your hands. All you campus pastors, write down names. Write down names. Get the names. <laughs> Here's another one. 1 Timothy 2.9. I also want women to dress modestly. All, all up for that. Talked about that last week. With decency and propriety. But not with braided hair. Or gold. Or pearls. Or expensive clothes. I am surrounded by Jezebels this morning. <laughs> I was picking on Pastor Lathan's wife in the earlier service. <laughs> I didn't want to mention any names, but her initials are Lynn Duncan. <laughs> Here's another one. 1 Corinthians 11:5 and every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It is just as though her head were shaved. Again, I don't see a whole lot of veils on heads and scarves on heads and hats on heads this morning. You women are clearly not being biblical. 1 Peter 3, 5, and 6. And this has got to be in the King James Version, by the way. I don't know if you caught that in the previous. For after this manner... In the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God ordained themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, as long as you do well and are not afraid with any amazement. And I, I have to confess my wife's sin this morning. Because <laughs> not one time this morning did she refer to me as Lord Mark. I'm quite appalled. <laughs> Your breakfast is served, my lord. <laughs> she doesn't even make me breakfast. <laughs> Where is that sinner? Yeesh. Make it yourself. <laughs> my lord, my lord. 1 Timothy 2.12. I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over man. She must be silent. Now, virtually every pastor I know is careful to run these verses through the filter of the culture of the time. And that is the correct thing to do. Paul was a huge advocate of Christians acting and living in such a way that the gospel would be well received by unbelievers. Asking that women behave in the way that he talks about in these verses is very consistent with the Eastern culture of his day. In fact, it's still that way to this day. If we were meeting this morning in Saudi Arabia, even though we would be in a Christian church, I pretty much guarantee you we would be insisting that the women have their heads covered and show visual signs of submission to their husbands. Why? 
Because if we did not, in that culture, the gospel would be spoken of as evil and the cause of Christ would suffer unnecessarily. But if we advocated that kind of cultural submission of women in Western culture, we would have the opposite effect. The gospel here would be spoken of as evil and the cause of Christ would suffer unnecessarily. And I dare, dare argue that that has been the case. In many corners of our society, Christianity is very much evil spoken of because just of these cultural messages. Now look at Paul, the guy who wrote all this. He was a huge advocate of saying that Christian men should not be required to be circumcised. He was absolutely clear about it. He was, he was so clear about it. In Galatians, he says, you guys want to get circumcised? I wish you'd go the whole way and emasculate yourself. Cut the whole thing off. Ow. Now that's how strong he was. But check it out. This very man who said that had Timothy circumcised. You can read about it in Acts, the 16th chapter, verse 3. Why? So that Timothy would be more effective in relating to the Jews. He was part Jew, so he thought, well, let's go ahead and do that. Acting in a way that seemed quite contrary to what he had actually written. Paul himself, who argued intensely that we are no longer required to obey Jewish law, he went so far as to refer to it as the curse of the law, which, by the way, guys, would have been pretty insulting to Jews who do not view the Mosaic law as a curse. It's kind of insulting the way Paul talked about it. But nonetheless, Paul referred to it as a curse. But this very same Paul, when he went back to Jerusalem, submitted himself to the law. He made vows. He shaved his head. He made himself ceremonial clean ceremonially clean in obedience to the law, the very law that he thought of as a curse and told others they do not have to follow. Now, why would he act in such a seemingly contradictory way? Because he wanted to relate to the people who he was trying to reach. You have to run those verses through the filter of culture. Now, you don't do that with the whole Bible. But there are some things that are just, these are cultural issues. Here's another example. Every time Paul would preach to the Jews, if you read his sermons throughout the book of Acts, he was careful to quote scriptures to make his point. He was what we would call a Bible-preaching preacher. Chapter and verse, man, he was out there saying the scripture says this, and the scripture says this, and you failed to do this, and da-da-da-da-da-da-da. He was always quoting the word. But when Paul went up to preach the gospel to the pagans when he was in Greece, up on Mars Hill, read the sermon. He doesn't quote scripture at all. In fact, the only thing he quotes is one of their local poets. It would be like me uh, trying to share my faith with a, with a bunch of people my age and quoting the Beatles to make my point. You know, Ringo said, all you need is love. You know, well, we've got to. And that's really what life is about, and that's why love is important. Just why would he talk like that? Because to relate to these people. You can read about the whole deal in Acts, the 17th chapter. Look at the words of Paul that he wrote about himself in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He says, though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone. Why? To win as many as possible. 
To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law. He was very clear to teach that he believes Christians are freed from the law of Moses. Why would he do that? So as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, the Gentiles, I became like one not having the law. Though in parentheses he says, I'm, though I'm not free from God's law, but under Christ's law. You know, it's not that I'm living without any standards. He had standards. Why would he do that? So as to win those not having the law. To the weak, he says, I became weak. Why? To win the weak. I have become all things to all men so that by possible means I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessings. And by the way, Paul was talking about cultural things, cultural approaches. You know, the reason I say that is I've actually run into people who claim to be Christians who are doing outrageous things, and they justify it because, well, I become all things to all men. You know, I'm smoking dope with dope smokers so I can witness to them. You know, or, or some other moronic thing. You know, I'm getting drunk with drunkards so I can relate to the drunk. That's not what he's talking about. All right, you don't violate God's laws of morality. Cultural laws, however, can be bent apparently quite a bit. Again, the vast majority of Christian leaders today are in, green, in agreement with me that we should not require women to call their husbands Lord or to have them wear coverings on their head or to forbid women to speak in the church because we view those things in light of the culture of the day, and I believe that's accurate. So clearly, when it comes to Paul's statements about the role of women, it is inconsistent for us to just take two verses and apply them to women without some degree of examination of the culture the context in which it was written, and how these verses fit into the overall teachings of the Scripture. But men today are failing to do that. Teachers of the Bible, Christian counselors today, overwhelmingly are telling women in horrible situations only one thing, they need to submit. And that is not what the Bible teaches. And I will make this clear in the weeks to come. I think the reason these guys do this is because, quite frankly, the Bible doesn't say a whole lot about marriage. It really doesn't. Do you know why? Because there's an assumption that the home would live out the very principles that are already in the Scriptures at large. They didn't need to re-lay out every case of how to behave just in the case of marriage or just in the case of on your job or any other situation or just with children. There is all the teaching of the scriptures that was assumed as being applied in the home to simply take one verse, and we are literally saying one verse, or if you add in the one about sex in Corinthians, two verses, and to build entire doctrine and directions for people in their lives based on one or two verses that stand, this is outrageous and absurd, and it is destructive, and it is hurting people's lives. The truth of the matter, and we will be studying this in other messages as we get into this, is that there are consequences for bad behavior, even in the church. And the Bible's very clear about that. The truth of the matter is why so many Christian leaders don't bring that into the home, is if you back it up, they don't bring it into their churches either. 
Doesn't matter how people live. Doesn't matter what people do. Doesn't matter if an elder in a church is beating the snot out of his wife. Well, it doesn't really matter. You know, he's an elder. You know, praise God. Grace, 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 grace. They teach so much grace, it's turned into grease. And we just grease up the skids and allow people to act in any way in the world. And nobody has the courage to challenge bad behavior in the church. That's why when it comes to the home, they do the same. And they just quote one side of the Bible. And they're not telling the whole story. I am going to show you the whole story. You cannot just simplistically tell women who are struggling in bad relationships to submit and everything will be okay. As we saw in Colson's article, they will not be okay. And to take such a simplistic approach is not being truly biblical, which we will learn as we continue this message next week. At this time, I'm going to ask all the ushers to come forward and get ready to serve communion. The musicians at the different campuses can get ready as we go into our time of communion. What we need to experience, folks, is not just parts and pieces of the scripture. The Bible is not a smorgasbord. You know, a lot of you after the service today are going to go to some place to eat. Some will have the smorgasbords and you just line up and I don't want that. Oh, I like that and I like it. Oh, I hate that stuff. That, uh, that's great for lunch, but you can't do that with the Bible. You can't just go through the Bible. Oh, I like that. Oh, I don't like that. I avoid that. And, oh, I don't, but this I like. And it, because you don't get to a true picture. You'll wind up in a bad place, an unhealthy place. We need to take the entirety of scripture bring it into our lives into our churches and for the love of heaven we need to bring them into our homes because that's when we will become really healthy and make no mistake God wants you to be healthy Jesus died to set us free from the power of sin Jesus died on that cross so that he could make us right before God so we could live in a healthy way in a godly way, in a way that sometimes includes confrontation. It's not all about hugs and kisses all the time. The truth of the matter is, as you serve God, sometimes the Lord will take you to the woodshed, man. If you're going in the wrong direction, things will not go well for you. We have to take the entirety of Scripture. Jesus died that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. That's what we're celebrating now as we take communion. His body broken for us so we could be whole. His blood shed so we could have forgiveness of our sins. I'm going to invite everybody listening to bow their heads in a word of prayer with me this morning. I'm going to pray a prayer and ask you to pray along with me. If you're here this morning, maybe you've never really experienced God's grace and forgiveness in your life. But if you're willing to turn away from what you know is wrong and put your faith in Christ, you can begin your life of faith this morning. You can start to experience God in your life if you'll put your trust in Jesus. Let's pray this prayer together. Say, Dear Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God, that you loved me so much, you went to the cross and took my punishment. I ask you to come into my life and to forgive me of my sins. I now surrender to you. Amen.